Okay. Welcome back to Double Feature, the IDS film podcast where the powers that be let us in a podcast booth to give you hot takes and maybe some lukewarm ones, too. I'm Annie Aguiar. And I'm Chris Forrester. A lot of children's movies have a habit of talking down to or tailoring themselves to their audience, favoring cutesy kitsch over impactful storytelling. On today's episode of Double Feature, we're talking about two children's movies we love because they don't do that. Paddington 2 and The Last Unicorn. Starting off by talking about The Last Unicorn, which is one of my favorite animated movies of all time. Chris, you just watched The Last I, Unicorn for the first time. What Care to explain? What are your thoughts? I think that it's such a nostalgia trip to the good old days when kids' animated movies were just off the rails insane yeah. and trippy and weird and like kind of nightmarish. Not and, kind of. Yeah, completely <laughs> nightmarish, and I miss those days. Yeah. I, okay, for those who don't know, this is a little rehashing of the plot of The Last Unicorn. It's about a unicorn, and she fears she's the last one. That's all you need to know. She's voiced by, is it Mia Farrow? I think so. Mia Farrow. There's a prince voiced by Jeff Bridges. There's Christopher Lee is also in it. It's an insane cast, looking back, for a movie that is also insane. In the first couple of scenes... There's a butterfly who only communicates by singing. And that that me describing that doesn't do it justice to just how you feel like you're having a fever dream as you're watching him sing. Yeah, I think it really sets the scene well for the type of movie that you're about to watch because that's not the weirdest thing, but it's it's a nice like palette prepper yeah. for some of the crazy stuff that's about to happen. It's about to get way worse. I don't like you need to watch the movie, so I'm not going to tell you all of the insane stuff that goes on. But at one point, there's a tree with a large chest. Yes. And she comes to life and tries to drown a nervous wizard in her cleavage. That is a minor scene in the film. I think one thing that makes this movie especially weird is that it's animated by the same studio and set of people that did a lot of the old, like, animated Christmas movies. Like, if you've ever seen Frosty the Snowman or this isn't a Christmas movie, but the original animated version of The Hobbit. And those are very definitively, like, normal, cute kids movies. But the style of this is the same except the subject matter and screenwriting is completely bonkers. Before we started recording, I was talking to Chris about this movie and why I love it so much. And one of the things I said is that this movie is wild. And not that, like, oh, man, that's wild, but it's literally untamed. Like, now the type of stuff that kids watch, by and large, is so washed. It's so, like, mm, the stuff that kids watch now, by and large, is so sanitized and so nothing. And it's really refreshing to watch something and be like, man, if I was a kid, I definitely would have had nightmares about that. Yes, like, and in, in a very special way. It's And we already mentioned this, but the sort of secondary theme of this episode beyond just celebrating kids' movies is specifically the great kids' movies that aren't necessarily kids' movies per se in terms of genre. They're just, like, universally great movies that kids can also love. They don't talk down to you. I came across this. I watched it by myself, and then it quickly became, I need to show this movie to everyone I've ever known. And last semester, 
they played it at IU Cinema. And the second that I saw they were playing The Last Unicorn at IU Cinema, I was like, I need everyone to go with me to this. I only got a couple of people, but those two people, if you ask them now, are like, that movie was insane and I loved it. We also haven't even touched on the fact that there's a soundtrack. Yes. There are songs. It's a musical. And all of the songs are written and performed by the band America. You might recognize from uh, Horse With No Name. The old, like, that's such a weird band to have as your unicorn children's movie musical accompaniment. But it but it works it, because yeah. it's just insane. It works because the whole movie's means of working is does it really question mark? It, like everything in this movie, whenever I see another thing, I'm like, huh? Okay. <laughs> it's constantly unexpected. It's yeah. kind of hard to take your eyes off of it. Okay. Uh, is the theme song in, stuck in your head yet? No, and it I is. don't want it to be. Oh my god, the theme song. If you if you don't watch the movie, just listen to like the main theme. It's amazing. Uh the chorus is just the words I'm alive over and over again. Like this these songs are not well written people, but that's part of the charm I really do feel. Um my other favorite one is there's a later song with the line Narwhals lost at sea, but he sings it so strangely it becomes Narwhals lost at sea. What's a narwhal? How do we just keep going from that? I don't understand, but I love it. Another thing is that in this movie, a major, like, not necessarily character, but plot point is this thing called the Red Bull. And so you have this movie where people, this fantasy film where, like, wizards and unicorns and talking butterflies are just casually throwing out the name, like, oh, yes, the Red Bull. At, at Like Chris said... I have the same thing of when I watch it of every time anyone says the Red Bull, you think just like oh, it gives you wings. Yeah. Like it's because that's so associated with a dumb energy drink in our minds, like that kind of not ruins, but taints part of the film. I think it honestly makes it makes it more enjoyable <laughs> just because it's already completely ridiculous and it's like there's nothing objectively like spectacular about this but it's all just so crazy that you you can't ridiculous not love it i will fully argue that the main character the last unicorn is an emotionless monster she does not have emotion yeah she doesn't and it's so like sometimes she says things and it's like wow i know you're a beautiful animated unicorn with anime eyes but that was harsh amalthea <laughs> like what are you doing but there's so much about this movie that i it's one of my favorite movies to show to people because it's a good barometer of are we going to be friends are we still going to be friends because if you're willing to just give yourself up to the chaos then you're the type of person i want to hang out with so you you covertly threw the should we still be friends barometer at me and I didn't know it. Yes. Wow. All <laughs> right. You passed. Well, <laughs> you also passed because the other film that we're talking about this week is Paddington 2. Paddington Which I distinctly remember. It was about a year ago that I saw this for the first time because I it was spring break and I was super bored and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna have a little Paddington double feature. I've never <laughs> seen either of them, but I've heard they're really cute. And I liked the first one, like, a lot. I really, really, really liked it. And then the second one, full on, I sobbed so many times. And I 
when it I feel it like ended, you also just cry a lot when you watch movies. <laughs> that's very fair. Um, but when it ended, I just had this, like, unshakable feeling of, like, I just, that was, like, Citizen Kane, but for kids. <laughs> it really is. It's Okay, I've been friends with Chris for, you know, a while yes. in college. And I've heard him talk about Paddington 2 so many times. It's one of his defining characteristics, I yeah. feel, is talking about Paddington 2. And it had been so built up in my mind that a part of me didn't want to watch it because I'm like, I'm just going to be disappointed. And then I finally watched it. And I wasn't disappointed. No, it, it, it's so... It didn't, it, it didn't only live up to the hype, it exceeded the hype. I rated it five stars on my Letterboxd, which is this app where you can, like, keep a diary of all the movies you watch and rank them. And I think my comment was, this movie reminded me what it's like to feel joy. Yeah, I saw that you logged that, and I was like, oh, good, we can't stay friends. <laughs> it's so perfect. And there's that one tweet that's like oh do i need to have watched the first paddington to watch paddington too and it's like no but why wouldn't you yeah like they're just so pure it really does something magical and how like simple and pure and like just all around wonderful it is without being obnoxious and i think that like, just thinking about it on paper, it's almost hard to conceive of how that would even work, that you would have this movie that's just so, like, overwhelmingly nice, and it doesn't get, like, it's sickening. Not, it's not schmaltzy. It's not schmaltzy. Yeah. That's kind of where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. And all of the characters and the cast. And this, this movie kind of, <laughs> both of them kind of have a stacked cast. You have Oscar-nominated... Sally, I'm Hawkins. Sally Hawkins, who is just in The Shape of Water. This is better than The Shape of Water. This is better than The Shape of Water. Um, Nicole Kidman is in the first one. Yeah. Um, Hugh Grant is the villain in the second one, and he's we'll, we'll loop back so around. good. And I don't even remember. Brandon Gleeson, Mad-Eye Moody from Harry Potter, is Knuckles, this hardened prisoner who ah. Paddington meets when he goes to prison. Paddington goes That's right. to prison. The plot of Paddington 2 is Paddington goes to jail. <laughs> okay, so the movie is about a friendly bear who wants to find a birthday present for his Aunt Lucy, but it's actually about the like problems within the criminal justice system and how hostile society can be to refugees. Paddington's from Peru. Latinx king Staniamos. <laughs> <laughs> she did steal that from a tweet. I did. I was but, about to cite that. Yeah, the the first Paddington is a surprisingly good slash great story about immigrants, and yeah. the second like takes that to another level. I think Peter Capaldi's in it too. Yes, he is. Yeah, sorry, Just... that's kind of a cameo, but well, I mean, he's in it enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And that's another thing tying back into what we were talking about with how just, like, simple and sweet it is. It's so, like, confounding to me that this movie is, A, like, super simple and sweet and basically just wants to say kindness matters. But that it also takes that to such complicated places with being a story that's subtextually about immigrants and refugees and also about the criminal justice system. Yeah. I, it's really sad that kindness matters has to be a radical viewpoint. Yeah. You know, but I'm happy we have Paddington, our tiny bear friend, to teach us about kindness and show us the way of how to be better people. 
I am too. I I just adore that little bear. I watched this. I made my friend watch it last night. And I had seen, like, some of it, but not never the whole thing. And she did not know what we were going into. And at the end, she was crying. And she was like, I didn't know Paddington was going to do this to me. Oh, yeah. I distinctly remember. I don't think I cried watching the first one. And so I didn't expect to watching the second one. And then, like... Five minutes in, one of the opening scenes is like this flashback of how Paddington met his parents, and it completely brought me to tears. It's just so sweet. Okay, like the two things I wanted to do after watching this movie were like hug my mom yes, and have marmalade. Yes. Paddington loves his marmalade. Marmalade sandwiches. Oh my gosh. Okay. Another thing that I wanted to do after watching this is punch Hugh Grant in the face. Yes. He is so... Hugh Grant plays Phoenix Buchanan, who's this washed-up actor who now does dog food commercials, and he has some schemes to try to get rich again, rich again that put him at a counter with Paddington, our hero. Yes. He walks a really fine line between, like, charming and just completely despicable... He's such a cartoon character. But it villain. works. It's, it's so amazing. It's like this old, like everyone else is written conversationally and in every single one of his lines, he's like a Shakespearean actor. Yeah. And it's so almost like if you delved into it a bit more, it would be disturbing. But it's the right level for a kid's movie. Yeah. Know? I think the key to why this movie is so crazy good is that it gets all of the balances right. It's not too simple, but it's simple enough. It's not too sweet, but it's sweet enough. It's not too cartoony, but it's cartoony enough. And one place that I really, really appreciate it also is in the aesthetics, because mm-hmm. I think making a movie about a talking bear that's live action with a CGI bear and real people feels like a weird choice. But some of the set and costume design is so good. Yeah, There's especially in the middle section in the prison, Totally <laughs> echoing Wes Anderson with the Grand Budapest Hotel, which you can't you can't echo that movie and not have me completely love it. It's so every everything about this movie is pleasant. Like it is. I love looking at it. I love listening to it because everyone has the cutest accents in the world. We're American heathens, so we say Paddington, but everyone says Peddington, <laughs> and I just I adore that. Um, I can when you watch this movie. You really get the sense that just, man, they had fun making this. And they I did. think nothing sells that more than a sequence that isn't even a part of the plot necessarily. It's in the credits. <laughs> Can we talk about it? Say it. There's just a musical number, and it's really good, and it's it's all like Broadway theater, bedazzled outfits, choreographed dance for no reason. And I just love that. Yeah, I think one of the biggest tragedies ever is that if there is a third one, it's probably not going to be directed by Paul King, who made the first two. And I just, I don't know if I want to have a Paddington 3 brought into this world that's not made with the same love and charm. It has to be with love and charm. It's Paddington. I don't know. I'll... I mean, if Paddington, if Paddington 3 happens, is it happening? I'm not sure. 
I'll 100% watch it because that little bear is my best friend. Oh, yeah. He owns my entire heart. You know, it's just I don't ever think I think it's a mistake to be like Paddington 3. I want you to stand up to Paddington 2 because Paddington 2 is just something that is so perfect and beautiful and meaningful and sweet. And I know if you're listening to me right now, you're probably thinking, oh, it's an animated children's movie about a bear. Calm down. And you know what? You're wrong. You're wrong. That's that's what I thought, and you're wrong. That's That's what I thought before it came out, and I was wrong. This movie has the power to turn the cynical into believers again. Yes. I specifically remember because, like... Right when this movie came out was like in the fiasco of Lady Bird was like the highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes. And then that one man gave it a bad review just so it wouldn't be. And then like a week later, it was like Paddington 2 is the highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, And part of me was like, hmm, cynical, skeptical, don't want to don't want to see anything take down Lady Bird. But Paddington 2, it's what she deserves. Yeah. I know I'm a jaded person, and I look at things like that, and whenever I see genuine emotion, I'm like, all right. Not anymore. Paddington well, Paddington has made me a better person. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Annie Aguiar is a better person. Thanks to Paddington. Yes. I love. Okay. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Double Feature. I've been Annie. I am Chris. And we will be back next week.